and welcome rugby fans to another great episode here on the Rugby Rant Podcast Show. My name is Ty Braga, your host for today's activities alongside Scott, the big guy Ferrara, and joining him, Rob the Hammer Hammerschmidt, and more importantly, battling it out against them today in this rugby debate show, we have Ed the Boss Pie. Pie Man is what he calls himself today, though. <laughs> That's the tagline there. So, Ed, welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for having me, uh, big guy, Hammer. Uh, Ty, if you'll just allow me, can I uh, say my hellos in a classic Ty hype voice? Sure, go ahead. <laughs> Hi, Ty Bragger. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> so, let me introduce you well, to the yellow card. Yeah, oh, right, 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 right away. 30 seconds yeah, in. Right are fired immediately. Okay. <laughs> Hey, Ty, do you have your red handy? Because uh, I don't think that um, Scott and I have received our twigs from our glorious victory against our mm. neighbors for the north and our well, that's uh, right. yeah. So uh, that's, uh, and our quiz and our quizathon that we so uh, dubiously won. Right, the last time around it was uh, the rugby shop versus the uh, rugby rant boys. And here we yeah, have my Ed. back hurt from carrying Rob the entire time. <laughs> oh, please. Months later. Dude, I rocked up to that and rocked it. Yeah, right. Well, let's take a, a moment here to be able to remind everybody that what we do is with the help of our sponsors. And one of those is, of course, the guys mm-hmm. at the rugby shop. And who better to be able to tell their story than Ed, one of the co-founders of them. So, Ed, tell us a little bit, in a nutshell, what is the rugby shop and how did it all start? Yeah, cheers, Ty. And uh, basically, the rugby shop was born out of necessity, Um uh, Jay Mack, our, our fearless leader, was uh, was at a tournament in in Vancouver one time and uh, had all his gear stolen out of the back of his truck as he was refereeing and had everything stolen. Uh, and then had a hell of a time trying to replace all of that gear. There was basically nowhere he could go, which was a one stop shop to get all his uh, gear replaced. Uh, so basically, that's where the the nexus of the idea was born, and um, the rugby shop just grew out of that. And we've had uh, we've been fortunate to have lots of good people come on board and um, help grow that to where we are now. Right, and where it is now is a title sponsor, or well, not a title sponsor, but let's say one of the the main backers and sponsoring Major League Rugby, which uh, of course has birthed shopmlr.com, where you can get merch like this, um, Rugby ATL, uh, Nola Gold, or whoever you may enjoy as your favorite team. Uh, Warriors Nation, I see uh, uh, there. And of course, the Rugby Rank gear as well. So don't forget about that one. Keep the lights on, guys. <laughs> so once again, it's an opportunity for me to be able to remind our viewers how it all works. So with this Rugby debate format as i mentioned before our guests will compete against one another with the topic at hand that has been chosen with the help of our presence online you as the fan hot debate what has been going on is recent news that canada and the u.s will of course be competing against the powers that be in those tier one nations across the pond in the united kingdom Last week, we took the opportunity to be able to share our thoughts regarding the USA selection, what the possible results would be. It is only fitting that we do the same for our Canadian brothers. And uh, of course, we are here to be able to talk about that, where recently a 40-man squad was announced by Rugby Canada. That squad, it was, uh, of course, initially um, 
or will be touring the uh, UK to be able to battle it out against Wales and in turn England. That'll be taking place on July 3rd against Wales at the Millennium Stadium. And then of course, July 10th for England. These gentlemen are going to be able to talk more about this in three parts. The first of which is to be able to discuss the merits of the player pool that has been chosen, that 40-man squad that has already been announced. Secondly, once everybody's had an opportunity to share their thoughts in that regard, we'll be talking about the first 15, where each of our guests will be putting forth their top five when it comes to positions one to five, six to 10, and finally rounding off 11 to 15 to make up what we think could very well be the starting 15 for Rugby Canada in those internationals in the July window. Now, finally, we will then in the last part be able to talk about what we believe are the uh, competition will yield so what will the results be now with that understood once again it is to talk about up front the merits of the player pool to be able to take us out we hand the mic over to ed to hear what he thinks thanks ty uh so i'll, I'll throw a few numbers at you uh, to start with um out of that 40-man squad you've got uh, 35 professional players uh, so that's never happened before, that many professional players in one squad. If you go back to the 2015 World Cup squad, uh, there was 11 professional players in the squad. So huge increase in the number of pro players in there. Um, you've got five Pacific Pride players in there. So not only does that show that there's now a professional pathway uh, happening in Canada, but there's also a developmental pathway happening. So there's a, a tier below, which is now feeding the professional level. Uh, 13 players from the Arrows. Obviously, the Arrows are doing a great job at uh, promoting players and getting them up to um, up to the main team. Obviously, that's not going to help them in, in Major League Rugby when those games are happening. But uh, uh, it shows that there's a pathway there, and hopefully it'll help with some of the cohesion and the game plan of, uh, of Team Canada. Um, I'd say with these selections, the strength of the team runs from numbers four to eight. Uh, in those numbers, you've got about five captains. You've got Kyle Bailey, captain of NOLA, Josh Larson, captain of the Free Jacks, Heaton, captain of ATL, Rumble, captain of the Arrows, uh, and Tyler Ardron, captain of Canada. So that's a huge amount of captaincy uh, and leadership potential there. Um, but for the, as for the rest of the squad, it's a very young team. They've They've really... Uh, looked at uh, something for Rugby World Cup 2023. Um, Ghana players like Hearn, McRory, Mac, DTH, Blevins. I, I did a little tally before, and, and amongst their most experienced players that are gone, they've lost 429 caps of international experience. Now, that is a huge number to lose uh, from any team. Um, there are a few exciting young names taking their place. You've got uh, Will Pasilia, who is uh, an exciting up-and-coming up nine. Um, Quinality with uh, with Rooney, who's doing really well. Um, Povey and Kratz, uh, some young guys coming in. Um, but they also talk about the, the golden number for winning a World Cup being 500 caps. No, I don't. I think there's a stat out there that no team uh, has won a World Cup with less than 500 caps in their team. So they're taking a little bit of a risk there. Um, th within those players that they've announced for this uh, for this squad, there's a, a, an average of 11 caps. So that shows you that they've got a lot of work to do um, in the next two years to try and get those guys up to international speed and international experience, average age of 25. Um, so they're starting a bit behind the ball. Um, just a couple of questions that I want to ask about the squad. Can they create a new identity for their team? 
Um, there's been some criticism about Canada being a, um, a very basic style and lacking complexity as, as some of the professional teams. Um, can they translate the arrows uh, onto their team uh, game plan? Um, do they need more resources, more more game time together? Uh, there's a couple of questions behind the squad, but um, very exciting uh, squad to be named and it'll be interesting to see how they come together. Yeah. So a lot of great information packed into that five minutes. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so what do we see in Ty? So I now officially will provide you with the cheese, the yellow, for going over your allotted time, even though you made good points. But even though you dissed the referee right from the start, I'm still only going to give you this yellow. I'm glad you earned it. Um, <laughs> but more importantly, let's let's rewind a little bit on some of that info. There's a lot. And the word you kept using was experience, young, youthful. And while this may initially be a concern when you're headed across the pond to be able to tackle such enormous competition in the likes of Wales, who is the current Six Nations champions, England, of course, being a uh, uh, third best in the world right now and a runner-up for the last Rugby World Cup. So it's stiff competition, be able to say the least. Um, youth is maybe not necessarily the, the, the worst part about it or the lack of international caps because you have to be able to recognize that this is really that two-year cycle leading up to the next Rugby World Cup. So the question that you might very well have also gotten to with more time, or perhaps you'll get to it in a later, a later piece, is the experience that they have now, will this be the makeup of the team that will still exist two years from now in the next Rugby World Cup 2023? And if so, do they have the ability to gain enough experience to put them in that position then? But if you said only 11 caps is the average right now, it might be difficult to be able to surpass that 500 cap mark that I love that stat that you, you, you referred to that no team, as far as you know, has been able to win a Rugby World Cup or excel in a Rugby World Cup at those levels to a final without having that many caps. And those caps, if you're not familiar, represent how many times you have represented your country at that level. So it's an important point to note. And some great points from Ed. Let's hand over to Rob Hamishman. Thanks, Ty. Uh, so first of all, I, I think those are those are all great points, uh, Ed. And um, I think some of the questions you ask are, are rather pertinent. But I also think that in answering or thinking about those questions, we're going to find out very early where can't, uh, Rugby Canada is at in this cycle. They have to develop these young players and, and begin to build those caps in and amongst their teams so they, they can prepare effectively for Rugby uh, World Cup 2023. Let's face it. United States, Rugby Canada are in the same boat. They have got to develop the next generation of players. It's not about this shortened tour in just a few weeks. It's about a much bigger picture. So I want to break down just a bit of this real quick. Um, keeping that in mind, some of my concerns, tight head prop, Illiniki is the only experienced tight head prop that's traveling. There's only one of the three individuals that are identified in the roster um, has a cap and none of them have a cap from 2019's Rugby World Cup. That's a concern. Um, and especially at a, at a spine position. And then at fullback, um, you, you have uh, two fullbacks identified and uh, another one, uh, sorry, one of them has never had a cap before. So that's got to be a concern. Um, there are some young and promising centers. And this is what I like about the roster. They have uh, Dutoy, obviously experienced, uh, Lesage, 
uh, obvious experience, but then you have some young guns that can learn from those guys and really develop over the next two years. And that's Quinn Nwadi and Lockie Kratz, uh, who I really like both those guys from Nolan Rooney, respectively. Lastly, this is what I'm going to say. They lost a massive amount of experience on the wings. Let's do this comparison. Dan Moore, Jeff Hassler, Hassler's hurt, Moore retired. Um, and then what's left? Four players, uh, four players share between them 19 caps on the wing. That has got to be a concern. The upside, though, is there's plenty of time to develop those four players for 2023. Right. So building directly on that last thought there, Rob, is there enough time to be able to develop them before the next Rugby World Cup? One of the criticisms has always been that these traditional tier one, tier two structure that has been adopted by World Rugby has almost, uh, you know, uh, disadvantaged teams like Canada and likewise the U.S., for just getting game time, getting quality game time between now and then, do we think these things are going to change? The mechanisms in place have already been changed under COVID, uh, but we don't really, I mean, we almost get the feeling that, hey, we got a game, let's put a team together, right? And yes, while this isn't our maybe our first, second or third options that we would like, we want to field a team that will be our next generation. So it's got to start somewhere, right? Even though it is lacking some major experience. What I did like, though, and, and is that you mentioned the Rugby World Cup 2019 campaign. So 18 out of the 35-player squad that went to the Rugby World Cup are still in this existing squad, um, at least according to reports. And whether that may change in the final makeup is still yet to be seen. So there is still some retention, 50% potentially of that squad. So they can see as much as 50% with the right type of experience. So, so you know, an answer to you, because it seemed like you were asking me a question, and so I'm going to provide an answer. So, uh, yes, I realize that the Major League Rugby is not uh, of the standard of international rugby, but what, what has changed in this equation is the fact that we now, to Ed's point, we now have professional rugby that most of these players have, or if not all of these players, have immersed themselves in. So they're getting quality, quality competition in a quality professional rugby environment on a regular right. basis. Uh, I really think the interesting thing is if we can pull this off and see some successes, then we have some options when we do want to get some additional tests. Even during the MLR season, we can say, you know what, we have enough player depth within the league to be able to survive taking a short tour two weeks where we can get some gameplay and get these guys some international experience at the highest of levels. For sure. The other thing, the other thing there is that uh, a lot of these teams that are putting their squads out now, US, Canada, they would have wanted to be doing this last year. This is when they yeah. would have been blooding all oh, these for sure. is last year with the with the um, idea that they'd get maybe 10 games coming into the uh, into right now. So right. they'd have more experience built by now, but all teams would be on the, most teams would be on the same playing level as them. Yeah, my final thought to add on top of that, before we hand it over to Scott Ferrara, who has been the most patient person ever right now i, I don't Which think it's unusual for him, but, Zen from him before um but the final thought there is is of course this is now happening and it has to happen because as ed had mentioned it didn't happen last year that these teams could assemble and be competitive but the rugby world cup qualifiers are this year in a matter of a few months right so it has to happen now by hook or by crook they'll find a way to be able to get game time scott tell us what do you think 
Let's get hot, baby. So I know Ed was talking about numbers, so let me throw a number out there. 41. The United States had 41 men. That's one more than Canada, so they're automatically better than Canada. You know, ours go to 11, <laughs> as, as they say. As they say in Spinal Tap, but mine goes to eleven. No, but that's that's just a joke. But <laughs> I think um, what you're seeing in the in the Canadian roster is you're seeing them select guys in specific spots that they feel they can move on from. So, for example, you know you're looking at all the um, back rowers there, and Matt Bukaboom not part of that squad, and you have three guys there with yeah. no international caps. Um, they did the same thing with locks, and I don't understand why they did it with the locks because they have such experience at lock. I understand they want to get young guys in, but why travel with seven locks? It just, in my mind, it, it just kind of seemed overkill. Um, you know, how, how many, how much are all these guys going to play? So in my, in my opinion, if you know you're going to Brit, go to an England, uh, Wales, a Welsh A and an English A, you know, maybe you take one of those guys from the Rugby World Cup squad and you, you don't take them. So I wonder in the traveling squad that comes out, how many of those guys at lock are actually going to be there? Because right now they're carrying seven. Um, and and to be honest, you guys were talking about Quinn. You know, he played most of his, a majority of his his MLR matches at the wing. So even though they, they have him at a center, which I know is his quote unquote natural position and in interviewing him, he that's what he wants to play. He's been lights out on defense um, and anchor for Rooney's defensive line at the wing um, and a big part of their success against LA. So, you know, I, I could see him playing wing. I could see him playing center. I think they're going to try and fit Quinn the back line. He's playing great. Um, I, but I think it's just like the United States, they're trying to fit in guys that they think are going to move around a little bit and kind of nudge a little bit of those older guys out and, you know, get some playing time for these young guys. I think they're going to do great. Yeah. So if I can find one, one, uh, important thought there and it's that you think that there's a lot of players that have a versatile ability so you're talking about you know seven locks i'm sure there's a handful of them and i couldn't tell you the names offhand but will be great in the back row and you know quinn as you but, said well i mean multiple yeah, positions. But, sorry to, yeah but sorry to interrupt you but they're carrying seven locks and one two three four five six six back rowers so right how, where so are they going to play in that area yeah, I mean, at this point, they, you're better off putting one of them at fullback because you're you're light there, you know. It's kind of <laughs> again, I, and I and I wonder, well, no, and I wonder how many are going to make the 30 man squad, and we're we're going to find that out soon enough. But it just felt like in that position where you're strong in lock and back row, yeah. Why have so many new guys, or why have so? It, it's either you should have put in all the new blood, or like a little bit of the new blood. I felt like right. you just kind of throwing guys together in that one it looked it was a little weird i think i think scott just gets a point just for the humor for saying you know what if you got too many locks just put him at fullback <laughs> <laughs> yeah we'll find a spot for them yeah, yeah. yeah. The other point on the locks there scott is that uh canada's line out hasn't been great in the past few years they've had issues with throwing they've had uh evan olmstead playing at lock Who's not? He's not really tall enough for a lock. He's uh, more of a, a six lock. Um, so you know they'll they'll probably lose two or three of those guys in their final team. Um, but whether they want to strengthen their their line out or not is a is a big question for them. So I got a question. Real sorry, I got a question for Ed real quick. So before we go on to our, our the people we're going to name, so um, uh, Jordan Olson an omission. Is that because right. his throwing hasn't been up to snuff? You think? I well, I obviously haven't seen him because uh, MPC hasn't uh, quite started yet. But um, I, I know, like with the arrows, there has been some issues with with lineout throwing. Uh, McMaster's, I think, they're the second one and has had a few shocker games where he's missed his lineout targets. Um, 
I think that's where um, Howard and Quatrain are the front runners because they have the highest throwing accuracy, basically. Yep. Okay. Right. And of course, the importance is 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 that you need to be able to have these set plays dominated, right? You need to be effective because that's uh, so important to be able to rugby. Once you control it, the set plays, it, you control the play. And and not to belabor this, but it's interesting you say that, Ed, because um, I actually, as I looked through and made my fifteen, I I I I actually admitted the muscle hamster from. Uh, the list and and I, I I'm an Ola guy. I I as I've been watching Nola play when he's come in um, as a sub, he's missed quite a few throws at key mm. points of the game. It's been a concern concern of mine. Right, I know, but so you have to realize have, too. Oh, sorry, but just I, coming, I, I just wanted to be able to take the opportunity to get a final thought on this one. When you say the merits of the player pool, do you like it? Do you think it could be better, or do you think that it still needs to be uh, uh, more clearly defined? And a lot of work is still to be done. Tell us your final thoughts. Start with Ed. Uh, for me, it, it comes back to creating. The, the identity of the team. And this is something that Canada has been lacking for, uh, for a few years is what is the actual identity? What's, what's their, what's their culture? How do they play? Um, is it the no holds barred um, freewheeling game of the nineties that Canada had? Uh, is it the very patient sort of phase build up play that the arrows play? Um, they're going to have to, they're going to have to figure that out. And just like, um, you know, uh, a lot of people don't recognize this, but with the, and I'll just speak on the All Blacks quickly here because I'm a Kiwi. Um, the All Blacks game plan over the past 10 years has 100% been centered around Aaron Smith at number nine because he's got such a fast clearance. Apparently, he's got double, he's double jointed in his wrists and he's, his clearance <laughs> speed is, is a second and a half from the ruck. So the, the All Blacks place the, uh, play their whole game around him and the speed that he can clear from the ruck. Does yeah, Canada yeah. have a player with a point of difference that they can they can make their game plan around? Will Pasillier maybe is one of those players. Um, maybe uh, Povey could be that player. So there's a couple of guys there. I think that that uh, they can base an identity around. Right. I I just love what you said there. So Aaron Smith has double jointed wrists. It sounds like it's Apparently. a rugby player that was like made in a lab. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, let's swing it over to Rob. Short and sweet. Merits on the player pool. Your thoughts? Short and sweet. I like it. I like the balance. They have some experienced guys, but they're getting new guys in there, and I think they have their sights set on building and developing not just rugby. World Cup 2023, but 2027 as well. Fantastic. Like it. Scott? Uh, I think their 41, their 40 man squad's looking good. And I, I wonder what that uh, 30 man squad's really going to look like. And, and, you know, like I'd said, if they're trying to work on the lineup, maybe they don't cut down on those, those loose forwards and those, right. those locks. And interesting, and- real quick, interesting tidbit for all of you out there. We talk about Robbie Povey, first MLR player to be traded for a draft pick in the history of the MLR. Yeah. Ooh. That's true. You get a, a, a fun fact point there. <laughs> um, so talking about the 30-man squad that is coming up to be announced, uh, speculation is, is that it'll be announced mid-June. Um, maybe it might even be announced by the time this airs. Who knows, right? But it'll be interesting to be able to see whether um, that 30-man squad will, will include some of the names we've spoken about here today. And talking about some of those names, we want to be able to move forward into the next piece of this uh, puzzle to be able to figure out Canada's position moving into the uh, July test window is to figure out what our first 15 could look like. So the way we're going to do this is a reminder for all our viewers at home is we're going to separate it into three different parts. That means that Scott Ferrara will be giving us his positions one to five. We'll follow that up with 
with Rob, uh, who will be giving us his position six through 10. And finally, ending this piece with Ed, who will be giving us his 11 to 15. So, Scott, let us uh, let us go. What do you think? So, so you know, talking about the, the loose heads, um, pretty much all the loose and tight, uh, there's five guys, right? All MLR players. So, for loose head, I think Cole Keith is going to be the starter. Um, honestly, I think the Justice Sears Duro is going to get a significant playing time. Um, and honestly, it seems as though Liam Murray, I think, is going to be kind of stuck a little bit between those two guys. He's the, he's the uncapped Lucy in that 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 um, in that in the prop set, and I, I I see it. I I I find it hard for him to work in um, in those two matches. I mean, don't get me wrong. If it's a blowout, you know, people they're just going to throw people in. But I, if if the match is really competitive, I don't find. I kind of found kind of find Liam Murray on man out. Um, hookers, um, we have two players from Pacific Pride uncapped. Um, and Eric Howard from Nola Gold, as we talked about, and Andrew Quatcher, we talked about. You know, we t- and and Ed t- spoke about their throwing woes in the lineout and stuff. Um, so I wonder if the throwing woes continue. Right, let's just say for whatever reason they're just having issues. Why not throw the Pride players in and see what happens? Because you're not going to lose anything. So it's going to be. I think it's going to be interesting to see when those Pride players come in. And if I were coaching rugby Canada, I'd pair them. Um, but I do think, um, I do think um, Eric Howard's probably going to start there. Uh, tight head. As Rob said before, he kind of just stole that one from me. Um, you know, Jake and Nikki, you know, he's probably going to start both, but I do see Tyler Rowan coming in, um, you know, 50 minutes. You know how tight heads go. If they, if tight heads go more than 50 minutes, they start to complain. So, you know, <laughs> um, you're going to see, and then the lock, the mess of locks. Um Plenty of choices. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's tough for me, and and you know, and and throwing in what Ed said, he kind of threw me off about Olmstead because honestly, I would start Olmstead because I think he's better in the scrum. Like that's why I would start him, knowing that he's not one. The, like there's two guys that can out jump him there, um, and and you know, if 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 Kyle Bailey wasn't getting it done, and you need another jumper, you can bring in Josh Larson um, and take Olmstead off quickly. But I, I don't know. I think I'd go with with Bailey and Larson there for my four and five. Because yeah. I mean, I'm sorry, um, Bailey and Olmstead. I'm sorry, Bailey and Olmstead to start because you, I, I think Olmstead's the better scrummager out of all those guys. Right. And you so know, me, I like I'm the always about that the you're saying that um, because you have to be able to imagine. You know, whenever you're competing against the team, as I said it before, you need to be able to control the set players. And when you're talking about the type five's influence, it's the scrum and it's the lineouts, right? So you got to be able to take into consideration those being two of the, of the most important factors, but not discounting the open playability, right? You still need some guys to be physical. You still need guys to be able to be at that breakdown. You know, uh, it's interesting um, choices, but yeah, I mean, I guess your approach would be is work the percentages, go with the guys that are proven to be able to be successful in those two key areas, the scrum and the lineouts. And really, if you can't be competitive in those two areas, every matchup you go against is going to be an uphill battle. And and talking about the props, I think any combination of those props you could start and you'll get a really good push. They're all really good scrummagers. Right. Um, and I think that's what Rugby Canada needs right now is, is less ball-in-hand props and more that drive right. that 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 engine room. But you know that England and Wales are by far the superior in ordinary uh you know scrummaging and lineouts and are among the best in the world. So certainly Canada needs to be competitive in those areas if they want to be competitive in the game. So 
Olmsted has to start in the, he's one of Canada's um, true international players. He has to be in the team somewhere. I just wonder against England and Wales, like they're going to have very strong lineouts and they're going to look at Canada and go, we will target their lineouts and, and yeah. steal yeah, a I, lot of position. So if you put uh, Olmsted at six, then you've, you're heightening your lineout and giving yourself more, more options. Right. So you want to move him into the back row. Um, talking about the back row, let's not steal the thunder from Mr. Hammer and uh, let's hand it over to him. Thanks. I, I want to touch base. I, I don't think you can leave Kyle Bailey out of the side. The guy has a nastiness. He has an edge and you're going to need that against the likes of Wales and England. Uh, so I, I, I said, I, I would like start Kyle, Kyle. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. I know. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing. I'm saying he, you have to have him in a side. Oh, and, and I, I thought, I, like I thought you were, you know, I was in hundred percent agreement, uh, but I want to touch upon the back row. So um, first of all, I, I'm going to put in at six, uh, I'm putting Matt Heaton. Um, he comes from rugby ATL. Uh, I think he's a, he's a good player and get around the pitch. You're going to need somebody like that. He's a uh, nice size for, for an open, uh, sorry, for a weak size, uh, weak side, um, flank. Uh, I, of course, at number seven, I'm going to go with Lucas Rumball. I mean, the guy's just a, a ball, um, a jackling machine. Uh, and you're going to need that to disrupt the, By the opposition. Way, I'm sorry to interrupt you for a moment, but on the topic of Rumble, how amazing was that clip that they showed of the Toronto game? He's strapped up across here, and then he's strapped up across his nose. It's like, you know, there's blood coming out the nose, there's blood out of the forehead, and he literally had straps across here and then straps across here. Uh, yeah, he looked like you, mankind for all my WWE fans. Mommy, yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, I was going to say, how can, you, fans, mankind. Yeah, how can you leave any guy out of the side who looks like, uh, you know, a caveman, a Cro-Magnon, prehistoric right. uh, uh, monster coming out of a cave? So you got to yeah, have another rugby player too. made in the lab somewhere. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, and then I'm going to go with Tyler Arden at eight. Uh, again, international experience uh, in France. But um, here's what I would do. I would put him in the line out as my jumper. And it gives you uh, options with Olmsted in a full in a, in a full. Uh, line i'd put him at the back to clean any any nasty ball up um so that's how i would move those guys around to adjust for maybe the the, the uh, olmstead's deficiencies in the lineup uh at number nine uh, i'd go with uh is it it uh is it per, um will uh persier is that i get that right ed Ed's frozen, so he's not helping me out. Great. <laughs> awesome. Perfect. um yeah you know, obviously persier yeah persier um, he has he has the experience. Uh, I would probably bring in um, Ross uh, uh, Brandy at, at as an uncapped to get him some experience. And finally, I'd end up with Peter Nelson um, at ten. But he has a lot of ability to move around, so it gives you some options. If you want to bring in like a Povey, who's twenty four and young, you can bring Povey in at ten, and you can move uh, for you know uh, Nelson back to fifteen if you need to switch some guys around, or you can put Nelson at one of the centers if you want to have some flexibility. So that gives you yeah. some options. So I definitely think, um, obviously, Rumble, I, I, it's obvious that I enjoy a guy who's just so tenacious, a character like that. So, yeah, you need one of those guys, the ball fetcher, the jackal, you know, whatever you want to call them. They're just in the middle, disrupting the play. And that's going to be important when you're challenging teams like Wales and England, who recycle that ball incredibly fast, which you have to imagine is going to be one of the things that they will have to be able to do is just to slow down the ball because their level of fitness, because let's, let's bear in mind, these guys have come through their internationals already with the Six Nations. You know, they've gone through that early in the season. They've gone through full season. I think you've chosen some pretty stuff options there and let's be honest when it goes to the back row and likewise for the locks 
Canada has a wealth of, of, of choices. It's going to be interesting to see, as Scott had pointed out, who will make that final 30. Uh, but let's continue forward to be able to find out who Ed believes is our 11 to 15. So, Ed, tell us what you think. Yeah, so this this was, is a tricky uh, some tricky selections there because Canada are a little bit light on uh, outside backs um, from their from their squad that they they had a training squad in November of last year and they um, had a, a squad there they've they've let go of a couple of guys um, notably Andrew Coe and Theo Sauter. Now Coe was really good at the 2019 World Cup. He scored an excellent try against Italy. Um, so I'm surprised that they've left him out. And then Souda, maybe he's uh, he's concentrating on sevens, but also a, a very good player. They put Doug Fraser in as a wing uh, when I would think that he'd be more of a more of a twelve. Um, but definitely, uh, Nawiti is uh, one of these guys who's who's has to be there uh, basically on his form. So at eleven, uh, I would have Nawiti there um, on one of the wings. Um, I had Doug Fraser at 12, um, but that may change based on, you know, who, who they bring in on the other wing. Um, he's a good hard runner, good skills, very low center of gravity. So he's good over the ball as well. Um, Kratz has got to get a, a, a chance. Um, Spencer Jones, also a good, uh, um, arrows backup player, uh, who was very good in previous seasons, but who's been, uh, under an injury, um, uh, curse there. Um, ben Lesage locked in in 13. I think he's the only one who's 100% locked in uh, in the center position. He's just been very good this year uh, at everything. Yeah. Very solid player. Um, Pat Parfrey at 15. Um, in the past, he wouldn't have been a player that I would have selected because he was he basically kicked the ball all the time. Um, but he's been playing a little bit at 12 for the Arrows this year, and he's really improved his defensive and running game. Um so I think based on his running game this year, he'd be a good uh, good option at 15. Um, and then if you're going for Doug Fraser on the wing, then you're probably looking at uh, someone like uh, Dutoy or, or Jones at 12. Um, but I would love to see Cohen Souter back in the team on the wing as well. Right. You threw out a quite a couple of options there in that that inside center position. And, you know, there's a lot of variables to be to be seen. But because it is a relatively young back line, um, you're going to see a lot of this versatility. They're going to find that right makeup, and it might very well change from game to game. Uh, it could change several times before then. But it is, of course, missing some of that traditional talents that would be there with Manamava and Hassler. So, yes, you need you need to be able to have these next guys to step into the position. And uh, fullback is probably one of the most interesting ones. Um, so you have to be able to expect that you must have a strong 15, right? Especially when you're playing, and I keep coming back to this, but it is relevant and we're going to be talking about it in a moment's time. So I won't dwell on it too long, but the caliber of the play between Wales and England is going to be a real test for these players as well as it is for a team. One of those players that will more likely be tested than others is that 15, that fullback, right? So do you have that sort of confidence given the competition they're going against, or is that just your best pick out of the options? I think at the moment it's, it's the best pick. Uh, I mean, but he has been playing quite well. He's been, right. he's been fairly good under the high ball and I expect them to get a barrage of high balls. I think that's going to be For sure. a potential, uh, a potential thing that uh, England Wales will be looking at exploiting. Um, one, one thing I didn't mention there, uh, there's one player who has four world cups under his belt. He's playing really, really well. He's retired as of right now. But uh, if he gets to the next World Cup, he is the all-time leader for players at, at World Cups. So I wouldn't uh, rule out DTH uh, yeah. 
coming back into the fold uh, when World Cups roll around. Uh, and hopefully so. I mean, he what's he, 34 now, so we're looking at 36. It's definite possibility, but as it stands right now, not inside the player pool, much to our dismay, right? Um, because, of course, he's, he's still in stellar form uh, for the Giltinis right now, and that experience is invaluable, especially in a team that is still so young. So let's continue forward, gentlemen, to be able to move on to our final point of interest is to be able to think more so about what the results may be as they battle it out against Wales on the 3rd of July, and then following that on the 10th of July will be against England, and of course, it is worth noting as well that the England matchup originally was slated to be held in uh, Toronto, where, of course, Canada would have been the host. Under the COVID times, it was forced to move across to England. So let's, uh, let's dig deep a little bit here, guys, and, and, and get your thoughts. And we'll start this round where we uh, ended it. Let's go once around uh, in, in reverse, and we'll hand it to, uh, to Ed. Tell us what you think the possible results would be against Wales and then England. Yeah, and just to remember that uh, England and Wales will have a lot of their squad with the Lions squad. So they'll be looking at picking uh, um, a younger team that to give them some experience for the World Cup as well. Uh, I saw a lot of talk around Marcus Smith being the 10. Uh, he's uh, he's quite um, an exciting... 22-year-old footfire, that's for sure. Yeah, he's, he's a running player. So that's that changes the England dynamic completely. Um, it, also, it also gives get Canada a little opportunity that if they can um, rattle these young guys um, and, you know, just push them. I think traditionally with uh, tier two teams playing tier one, they're in it up to 40 minutes. And then after the 40 minute mark around 50, 60, couple of quick tries by the tier one team. And then basically the game's over. If, uh, if Canada can stay in, in it up until the 70 minute mark, one, one score within the 70 minute mark, um, then that that should be definitely what their their goal should be to to be within ten ten points, but I'd say more realistically somewhere um, ten to twenty five. Okay, so is that you're saying for both Wales and England, right? I, I would put Wales and England on the same same par, given okay. that they've lost their main players. Yeah. Right. So somewhere between 10 and 25 would be reasonable, but ultimately the goal is to be competitive, right? So uh, uh, and that would be competitive in your mind. So let's hand it over to, uh, to Rob to hear his thoughts. Well, uh, expectations. Well, you want to blood new players. We talked over and over about that and prepare for World Cup 2023 or 2027. And that's the whole idea. It's, it's the long game rather than the short game here. But if we're talking about expectations of results from this mini tour. I look back at Rugby World Cup 2019 and Italy uh, was a 48 to 7 loss. Um, Here's my concern in thinking about England, which is essentially an England A team because of the loss of 10 players to to the British and Irish Lions. Same with Wales. Um, I would be looking somewhere between 25 to 30 point differential, right? Because it was a 41 point loss to Italy and Italy took a high, has taken a hiding um, during the Six Nations, so um, when they? <laughs> yeah, um, so so I, I, I'm I'm less uh, optimistic than that is. Sorry, yeah. and I apologize right now out in the open to our good friends Karen Gasparino and Doug Wilkie. But... <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is this is never ever about going there and coming back with the victory, right? This is an entirely new uh, team. Um, with a whole new set of expectations. So we, we also need to be able to kind of limit those expectations. Um, 
you know, people, I don't want people to, to, to now think that this is the road to a rugby world cup win, right? What you want to be is build those, those goals and incrementally you will get better and better with each new challenge. Right now, this is setting a foundation. Uh, and that foundation is 10 to 25 points difference or even larger, you now have a baseline to be able to build from because they didn't have that last year. And going back to the Rugby World Cup is too far back to be able to use as your baseline. So let's hand it over to uh, to Scott to hear his thoughts. I think uh, it has nothing to do with the scoreline. I think it has to do with, with, with what Ed was saying. They have to find the style of rugby they want to play. And again, I think it goes under to what I said about USA. If you're going to make a mistake, make a mistake huge because these games don't really matter, um, you know, for for standing. So why not run that skip pass? And you know what? If it gets if it gets taken back for a try, it happened. But you know what? In two years from now, when that skip pass is half a second faster, and you see Quinn Nwadi running down the sideline to score a try against uh, you know an actual English team, and maybe you're a little competitive, you know where you know where that work came from. So I think it's more of finding your identity, going big or going home. And don't worry about the score. I like that. Honestly, sometimes you see the best possible rugby from your team when you let the talent do what they do best. Um, and giving them the ability to do so um, is, as a coach, I think is a merit, right? Nobody's going to hold it against you because, you know, I mean, to, to, to dumb it down, really, this battle, these matchups, yes, they count towards your international standings and they are a ranked match and it is an international test but it doesn't actually matter for the bigger picture. What is that bigger picture? In the short term, it's qualifying for the next Rugby World Cup. A little bit longer, it's being competitive at that Rugby World Cup. And hopefully, Canada can meet some of their past glory by getting into uh, the group stages and out of the pool stages, right? Although they sit in a pretty difficult uh, pool, much like it is the same for, for the US, it's still about building the team from here forward. So even though it may have some pretty young talent, even though it may be inexperienced, this is where you find that next generation of stars. And in order to be able to find them, you need to be able to give them the opportunity to shine, right? And this is exactly that. So I like what, what Scott had, had said there is really just, you know, let them play, throw caution to the wind, and you might just be some magic. Uh, because those are the most interesting games. Because... I think the best thing that can happen, the best asset right now that it, that Canada has is being underestimated. All right. So, gentlemen, it has been another interesting debate where we are taking the time to be able to learn more about what you think about the merits of the player pool. Then following that, we spoke about, of course, the first 15 that you think might very well be in that starting lineup and finally writing it out with what we think the expectation will be for the results against Wales and England. But you, as a fan at home, can let us know what you think by dropping a comment down below. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok under the handle at Rugby Rant Pod for future episodes. And you can, of course, also catch our content on nowtherugbynetwork.com or by downloading their app, find us on TRN, where new debates will be released each and every Friday. Alternatively, you can get that a little earlier if you're a fan who wants to be able to learn about all that going on a little bit earlier than others. Again, you can see it on Facebook uh, on every Thursday the night before. Gentlemen, we now need to be able to pick a winner for this rant. And uh, 
as we do each and every episode, it's important to be able to note that one person will be crowned the champion of this rant. The bragging rights are everything, but we're going to find out who that is after this break. Rugby Coffee was born out of two passions, providing ethically sourced coffee and promoting the growth and development of rugby. By combining these two passions of folks at Rugby Coffee, see an opportunity to bring people together and together we can make a difference. Rugby Coffee invests 10% of their profits into giving kids opportunities to play rugby and projects that help uplift communities. These endeavors have been transformational in many kids' lives and uplifted and empowered these communities. The boys at Rugby Coffee have launched three distinct brews, which you can pre-order now. Joué Joué, Champions Cup, and Crowd Favorite, which is a mild North American blend. Each brew has its own unique style and flavor. Get your brew, pre-order in now, and support youth rugby. A simple vision can be transformational. Rugby as a sport can inspire communities, bring hope, and provide opportunity. Rugby coffee, it's not just a game. It is a way of life. And we're back, rugby fans. Again, it is important to be able to take the time to find out who is the winner of this particular rant where we spoke about the Canadian selection for the, of course, uh, upcoming tests in the July window where they'll battle it out against Wales and England. Each one of these gentlemen on screen had their opportunity to be able to talk and who will be the winner. And on this occasion, very rarely so, it's going to go to our guest. Congratulations, Ed. Yeah. Does that mean we don't get our twigs? <laughs> They're on the jersey, dude. Spinal Tap reference and everything. I got, I got a bonus po- bonus point for the Robbie Povey thing. This is bullshit. I mean, no, look. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out of here. Taking my toys and going. Yeah. Yeah, US, US has had the best of yeah. the matchups against Canada in the last few years, so we're getting one back here. Right, right. Well, actually, now it makes a tie between the rugby rant and the rugby shop, seeing as you're, of course, representing them here today. So uh, on another occasion, we'll have to be able to find a way to be able to get a tiebreaker somewhere. Uh, But it has been an interesting opportunity to be able to learn more about Canada. Your insights were invaluable. You're obviously uh, uh, very connected to to the rugby community up in Canada, and it shows through your knowledge. Uh, Ed, we want to be able to do, as we do each and every episode, is give the floor to you for a moment to be able to send a shout-out to anybody you think might be watching, a special message for our fans out there, general rugby fans, whatever it is, let us know. Uh, I'll just give a shout out. Um, it's inclusion month at the moment. So I'll just give a shout out to anybody who's never felt included in, in something or f- felt excluded. Rugby is a, is a great community for, uh, for everybody and it accepts everybody. Um, so uh, shout out uh, for people um, celebrating inclusion month. Fantastic message. And that's exactly what rugby is, is, you know, it's that spirit of togetherness um, that personifies this game as something special. Well, once again, folks, it has been another opportunity for you to be able to learn from us here at the Rugby Rant, what we think we know about rugby. But you again can tell us if you enjoyed it by following us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram up the handle at Rugby Rant Pod, where you can get new content weekly each Monday for a new run, pass, or kick interview with a rugby insider as our guest. And in addition to that, on every Thursday and Friday, where we'll be dropping a new rugby debate episode. Once again, on behalf of the team, myself, Ty Braga, host for today's activities, alongside Scott, the big guy, Ferrara, and of course, Rob, the Hammer Hammerschmidt, and our victor for today, Ed Pye from the Rugby Shop. Thank you for watching this episode and we will catch you at the next.
And welcome back, rugby fans. Again, of course, this is the Rugby Debate Show. We put ourselves and our guests to the test. But in this occasion, we're going to be talking more about rugby ATL versus NOLA Gold from this past weekend. An interesting matchup. This conference battle promised to be an exciting match, and it was for a slightly different reason. As some might categorize it as a defensive battle, it was uncharacteristic to be able to see a low-scoring affair, but to uh, much uh, of the delight of those ardent rugby fans, it walked away being a tremendous uh, game, nevertheless, that yielded two tries, um, some significant moments in the match, one of which coming very late in the game to be able to seal the win in favor of Rugby ATL, further cementing their position at the top of the table for their conference and pushing Nola Gold a little further down, although they do have a game in hand, and that might become very important as we move into the latter portion of this league for this year. Gentlemen, we are here to be able to talk about the game at hand. Now let's hand it over to Rob Hammerschmidt as our resident NOLA Gold fan. Yeah, obviously it was a disappointing loss, but it was probably one of the most exciting games I've seen all season, even though it was a low-scoring affair. You talked about the one piece, and that was defense. Uh, defense defined this match on both sides of the pitch. Um, NOLA had some huge hits. I think there was one hit on Cole, uh, excuse me, uh, the number 10 for ATL Carlson that was put on him. I mean, uh, it took him a couple minutes to, uh, to get up. There was a couple guys down in the field that um, really it was like a, a battle scene during some um, parts, but this is obviously typical of a Scott Lawrence uh, team. I mean, they play stout defense. They don't, they don't give it up. Um, they, they try to make you work for every point you're going to get. And it's, it's like a brick wall, you know, um, harken back to the first two seasons of Seattle where they called it the seawall. I don't know where right. they called it the, the, the snake pit. Well, it doesn't quite have the same ring. But nevertheless, um, I, I was I was happy with Noah's defense. It was solid. Uh, ATL, truthfully, ATL really only threatened to score once, and that was the scoring opportunity to trick through. And quite frankly, I think it was a little misplayed uh, in the back there by Nola um, on, on the missiles uh, uh, chase. Um one of the things that frustrated me quite a bit was the fact that Nola was in the green zone about five to six times and they failed to convert any points. ATL's defense was so stout um, that they, that Nola just you know, would turn over the ball, whether through knock-ons or through penalties. Uh, and then, you know, ATL was happy to kick it out, clear the, clear the defensive line and make Nola work. And it was very, very similar to L, the, the match against LA and, right. and their recipe for success there. Um, what surprised me most is ATL didn't commit any penalties in that process. I mean, we typically see, you know, when, when you're, you know, a team is, is knocking on the five meter line and pound and pound and pound and pound, you get an offsides call or you get some kind of, you know, coming in from the side or some other infraction and it allows the team to put the points through the post and, and it would have helped Nola, but obviously uh, Scott Lawrence boys were very well disciplined. And finally, I was very happy to see Nola's strong set piece play. Uh, they had some very solid scrum. They 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 drove the uh, ATL scrum back a couple times. Um, they had some rough patches in the line out set piece um, component uh, early, but they straightened it out uh, and they won um, the set piece um, in the line out thirteen to five uh, over the course of the game. One of the sh- one of the things I want to bring up: uh, seventy four tackles for Nola, one hundred and eighty for ATL. Again, that stout defense, and Nola had sixty seven percent of the possession one last shout out all my peeps down there in nola the crowd was absolutely incredible uh they were trying to will their team on to victory and they just came up a little short but um 
Right, Great created game. an exciting atmosphere, yeah. nevertheless. Yeah. And uh, you wouldn't expect anything less from a, from a NOLA crowd who uh, is certainly among the most passionate across the league. But it's exciting to be able to see that many fans in attendance and everybody knew this is your last home game, right? right. So uh, if everything was, uh, it was, was there on the cards, uh, they certainly didn't leave anything left in the tank. They gave it all as the fans. And of course, out there on the field as well. But ultimately came up one point shy as Rugby ATL finished the game at 8-7. But let's hear some thoughts from Scott. Well, you know, it was it was a stout defensive game, and you know, ATL at the time, I think their point differential was plus sixty, and now it's only plus sixty one with that one point win. Um, I do think uh, Cam Dolan's try. I just Van Schalkwick has a brain fart. I mean, Scott Green being the the most vocal referee in the league. I mean, I mean when I mean most vocal, I mean like he's clearly you can clearly hear him on the broadcast. Use it. Right. It's audible for sure. Use it. And even Cam Dolan kind of like looked like, is he is he going to leave it there? Wide open that ball, <laughs> he picks it up and goes. Um, you know the, the veterans like oh like he it, 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 he was almost amazed that he was like this is happening right now, um, and it happens right at, around you know before halftime they converted right. to go up at half. I want to I want to um, just I interject think- there for a moment because it is almost comical because I you know having watched it a couple <clears> of times <throat> since the match. You know, like you you pointed out, uh, uh, Scott, it was audible. The call was made by the referee that this ball was now in play. It had been held in the hands uh, and then it had been released, right? So this meant that the ball was in play. And it was almost as if Dolan kind of like was in, in disbelief himself. Like, yeah, I can grab that. Like, I can take that. Kind of like, you know, as if it's like a cartoon-like version of you're like, you're going to finish that? Can I have it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, was, I think he was in shock. Um, I think I would say the turning point... Shout out to my boy, the cowboy, Mark O'Keefe. You know, he's not known for his his, his threatening hits. But he took um oh god, who's who's the Kyle Rogers. Kyle Rogers for a ride. And you know, <laughs> luckily didn't didn't go up and over on him, but literally held him back from from the line to dot down would have would have been the probably the game winning try. And from that point mm-hmm. on, when you have it when you have a guy who who isn't the biggest, the heaviest hitter that makes a play a strong tackle from behind and not just like drag him down, get out of here. He went from, he went from the touchline uh, from the, the try line to the five meter line because of that tackle. And it kind of set up, it, it started to set up uh, Atlanta's counterattack. There's a penalty and, and they went eight to eight to seven. It was a nice game. Right. So I want to revisit the, the, the common theme that we have here that is also built on the back of the Giltini's matches defense, right? So we spoke about the tackle count for, for, um, for rugby ATL being high on this occasion, 180 plus, I believe uh, from last week, Rob, you had mentioned was over 220, maybe 225. So these guys are having incredible uh, defense at high work rate, but you also brought into to relevance the fact that they didn't commit too many uh, infringements at those breakdown areas that could have allowed for a penalty because wave of the wave of attack, that's usually what happens. And in fact, this was one of the first matches that I can think of in recent record that yielded no cards. So all yeah, Especially that- a NOLA match. If I was a bet man, if I was a bet man, that wouldn't be a bet I would take. You know what I mean? <laughs> and probably, and, true, you know, because right? uh, the Rooney boys are, are, you know, they're saints. 
Yeah, I didn't say they're safe, but I mean, let's be honest. You guys average four cards to match. Oh, four is a little extreme, don't you think? (laughs) Okay, (laughs) whatever you say. Well, whatever it may be, discipline in this game would have, you know, especially in defensive battles, discipline is often what will lose the game for you and in the other half win the game for you. So whoever has the most discipline uh, team, and I mean at the breakdown areas, I mean at the, the set plays, I mean all of these things had to be working in your favor. And while it might not have been the traditional MLR excitement of try after try after try, it yielded another really, really great matchup for a different reason. Um, but one of those pivotal moments, inevitably there's, there's, there's a winner in this match, and only by one point, it came near the end of the match on the 72nd minute with a penalty conversion from Carl, sir. Um, so, you know, it, it, it eventually did come down to discipline that ended up uh, separating the two, right? And even though it was one instance, it's still important to note. Yeah. Oh, another I, thing. Oh, sorry, Rob. Go ahead. I was going to add. I, I really think Nola missed, um, you know, Carl, uh, their fullback, um, and um, he's such a big, heavy hitter, uh, especially right. coming up with a head of steam. Um, I, he would have broke that tackle. I think he would have ran over O'Keefe and dotted down the try. Um, and I also think he would have played that uh, ball, that chip and chase better that uh, Jeremy Masegagalu, uh scored. So. Um, had he been in there, I think right. we would have been in better shape. Now, talking about that try, you know, we're talking about that little chip and chase into MLR try of the week, by the way. Right. Well, it's fantastic, but I do have try. some criticism about it. So you've got two players making the covering defense on Nola, right? So you need to be able to recognize who's man one and who's man two. And I don't think there was that 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 intuition in play because, and I can't remember who it was with the with it closest to the player. But that's the man who has to play the ball. You had one covering, covering defense, and you had one sitting there. And and the man who was closest to the player and the ball should have been the one to be able to right. make the covering a, a, a tackle, a not tackle, um, disruption. Right? Yeah. Uh, I think I think that could have been avoided. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. I I think Kyle Rogers is a young kid. He has a lot of opportunities to develop. I think he's going to develop into a really good player. But Kyle Meyer, I think, would have played that that uh, chip and chase differently and it would have come out with a different result yeah and and ultimately that's what gave them the result at the end of the day uh i mean when you have an eight to seven score line and the game is settled by only one point every moment counts mm. uh every penalty needs to be scored you know you take their opportunities where they exist so i guess you know it circles back around to what you had said earlier and this has kind of been a trending theme for nola is that when they get into those final meters coming up to the opposing uh, try line, they're in that red zone and something changes in them. Something like they become hastily, they move the ball too quickly. It's like they hit a different gear. And now they're like, they're, they're almost like, they, it, I don't know if it's a psychological thing, but I've now observed that the team mentality appears at a surface level is we've done everything to get into that last five, 10 meters. And now our mindset has changed. And the other thing is, with going on top of that, is I think you're correct, and it hasn't changed even though they changed their scrum half because Damian Stevens started over holding Youngard, and people were saying, well, Stevens should get the Stevens should be getting the the start, you know, because he provides this, and we're stagnant here and we're stagnant there, and what happened? 
they were just as stagnant with Damian right. Stevens there. Now, so I, I do wonder think Stevens is, is an electric player. Um, yeah, but I but I wonder that the team vibe or you know the synergy yeah. that's going on right now is holding them back. You know, it's it's not I don't think it's an individual player. I think it's no. like a almost a, a mental block on the team. Oh, for as a sure. Whole. And and it and it it happens and you kind of get into mm-hmm. like you get the yips, right? Yeah, and exactly. when you know that you're so close, you almost start to become more reserved. Or you start to rush because you now there's an there's an, an extra level of expectation, so it's almost applying more pressure upon yourself. And even though it may not be visible to you in the moment, it's happening collectively as that 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 mood has changed. Rob, I mean, you're obviously the big Nola guy for us. Do you think this has any merit? Um, you know, I, I I'm not I'm not close to like somebody like Benji. I think is much closer. They he talks to the guys after the match. He's very close to the to the boys. Um, and he has a much better pulse on how the guys might be feeling. Um, I've had some conversations online with a few guys, and I don't think that's the case. I, I think that, um, you know, they just, they look, Nate Osborne put a great game plan into place. Uh, this week, I said Scott Lawrence might be one of the best American uh, coaches in the game and possibly the best coach in the MLR. But I really think Nate Osborne showed us what kind of coach he could be. He put a great game plan in place. And the guys just did not, you know, just it was that one yeah. percent of execution that they that fell through. It just happened consistently, um, and they'll figure it out, you know. But they're going to have to figure it out on the road, and that's going to be a tough ask over the next six weeks, um, you know. But I think they found some other things out, like Hanno Dirksen had an incredible uh, kick, or was it Kratz? One of the two had an incredible kick at seventy-six minutes that put him back on the five-meter line and put him in a position to win the right. game, um, and and they just couldn't convert. But they'll figure that stuff out. They have enough senior right. leadership. And and this is not unique to NOLA. You know, this is kind of, you could probably pick and choose a couple of other teams as well. But nevertheless, to be able to win by one point is the narrowest of margins. To lose by one point is the narrowest of margins. But nevertheless, it has to show you that it was a colossal battle that put two evenly matched teams against each other. Uh, and that's what made such a great spectacle of a different sort but just as exciting as I'm sure fans have now been able to see as rugby has evolved in MLR, how different the game can be from one week to another week and how different the result would be, but it's very difficult to be able to predict any of this, but I want to be able to, uh, to remind everybody as Robert pointed out, rugby ATL still needs to be able to go on the road. And so does NOLA. And it'll be interesting to be able to see where those results may take them right now. Rugby ATL sits at the top. NOLA finds himself in fourth position with a game in hand, still the opportunity as of course that conference is pretty exciting as it heats up will be some of the most exciting uh, finishes as they lead up into the playoff. Gentlemen, it has been another wonderful hey, opportunity. Hey, Ty, before conference. I got to interrupt you real quick. Shout out, to La- shout out to our boy, Lerone White, had a great 50-meter run. Yeah, he did. And, uh, and our, friends, <laughs> our friends at the Rugby Network did him dirty with that video. Exactly. With I think it was video. brilliant. You know what? If, <laughs> if, if you don't find that funny, you do not have a funny bone in your body because <laughs> they did that, that was like, and you wanted to will him on, you know? It's like yeah, betting on, 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 the, on the slowest horse but sometimes if they come in they give you the greatest odds on the win you know (laughs) but it was brilliant and uh you know what it's good to be able to see props make a good run of it (laughs) thank you for that reminder that was really a comical moment 
Uh, gentlemen, it, it has been another great opportunity to be able to talk rugby as we do week after week. And I want to remind our viewers at home that you can continue to enjoy our show and all of our content by following us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok under the handle at Rugby Rant Pod, where we release new content every Monday with a player interview or another rugby insider for our run parcel kick interviews. Following that on Thursday and Friday, you can find our content with this as a rugby debate where we tackle a new topic chosen by you as the fan each and every week. My name is Ty Braga. I've been your host for today's activities alongside my co-host of Rob the Hammer Hammerschmidt and of course Scott the Big Guy Ferrara. We are your team here on the Rugby Rant and we thank you for watching. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.